I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. Rosie, how are you, Dog Dog? Fine. What are you doing there? I'm le- uh, lecking moisture off some grass. Oh, yeah, why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? Fair enough. All right, then, um, you go and run around and have fun. All right, Doggles. And I'll say hi to the podcats. Hey, podcats, how are you doing? Thank you very much indeed for joining me, Adam Buxton, for another podcast. Now, this week's podcast, episode number 29, features another conversation with friend of the podcast and my old friend, Louis Theroux, the British and American, he holds dual citizenship, journalist and documentarian. Uh, this conversation with Louis took place in May this year in London. And as you'll hear, I had provided Louis with a wide selection of beverages that I thought he might enjoy while we were recording. I was trying to be a good host. I actually also bought a, a giant can of frightening-looking monster energy drink, which I'd never tried before. But uh, initially, Louis just went for the tea. But about halfway through, we cracked open the energy drink. I'm not sponsored by the energy drink, incidentally. We cracked it open. Both of us had a glass of this weird milky white concoction. And I think both of us felt some effect, but it was difficult to tell exactly what the nature of it was. Uh, However, things did become slightly unhinged towards the end of the podcast, so perhaps that had something to do with it. And in this conversation, we cover many of my usual favourite chat topics, including infantilism, questionable social habits, and the never-ending challenges of parenting. We also talked about booze and our sometimes fraught relationship with alcohol. And Louis described the process of making a documentary that was on TV earlier this year called Drinking to Oblivion. I don't know if you saw that. It was really good, I thought. And Louis, in that documentary, spends time with a selection of people in London struggling with the effects of excessive drinking. And as we discussed, both Louis and I enjoy drinking alcohol and have, on very rare occasions, done so to excess. And we're both aware that, as parents, it's even more important to be responsible with alcohol, but sometimes things get a little blurry. I mean, I'm about to do the uh, TV comedy show Drunk History, in which comedians drink too much and then attempt to relate a story from history, which is then brought to life with actors in costumes on proper sets, all lip-syncing to sections of the drunken historical ramblings. And I told my children I was going to be on the show. I didn't want them to sort of stumble across it one day by accident and think, what the hell is this and what are we supposed to glean from this uh it was difficult to um explain (laughs) 
why I was going on there, other than, you know, that it's, it's a, a job, albeit a slightly weird one, and it's a show that I do find funny, and it's not supposed to be an indication that it is always wise to drink excessively. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Maybe it'll be one of the th- many things in my life that I end up regretting. Um, speaking of which, Louis and I discuss one of my absolute worst, most shameful memories of a particularly bad bit of behaviour that I undertook under the influence of alcohol when I was at school, uh, which I found quite painful to recall, I have to be honest. However, by the end of the podcast, we were all hopped up on energy drink and we started singing. And that's always good for the soul, although it might not be good for yours listening to it. Incidentally, the thing I'm fiddling with at that point when we start singing was a guitar tuner app on my phone with which I was attempting to establish whether or not Louis was singing off-key. But I think the app got a little bit confused and sad, which you also might. Anyway, that's enough introducing. Let's get listening. Here we go. Here we are. Now, Louis, you've gone for a tea. I presented Louis with a a choice, uh, a a wide selection of cold drinks before he told me that he just fancied a tea. Mm. Well, a coffee, actually, but I went for a tea in the end. I was talking to Richard Herring about tea and coffee drinking and saying that I didn't realise that tea had quite so much caffeine in it. Mm. Does it? It does. They say it's got more than coffee. Really? It's hard to believe, though, because it doesn't feel like it does. I didn't have you down as a tea drinker. No, I'm trying to become a tea drinker. Why? Because I, I have a feeling... I was talking, Well, as I said to Richard Herring, I felt like I've got too many silly boy habits mm. left over and I've got to make an effort to embrace a more mature way of life as I That's interesting. Something up. you and Joe used to have in common, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, being silly boys. That he would be... He, he never drank tea or coffee. It was only... Coke, yeah, fizzy drinks. Fizzy drinks. Fizzy pop. And, and even uh, f- with food, he was... Hasn't he always been quite conservative in what he ate? Yeah, I mean, it was... He and I were terrible for each other in that respect because we were quite happy and thought it entirely normal to subsist on a diet of... of Burgers and bacon sandwiches. Right, McDonald's. And we went to... We went interrailing one year and got stranded in Madrid because I lost my passport. And so we got stranded in Madrid for a week and literally we ate... It was like Morgan Spurlock before Spurlock. We just ate McDonald's for every single meal. Not good. And thought, this is totally fine, you know. (laughs) Maybe we varied it by going to Burger King once. 
and thought, oh, wow, we're getting quite adventurous now. But he's got, um, I hope this isn't indiscreet, he's got funny little habits, or he used to. Do you remember he had a thing about every night before he went to bed, he'd eat an orange? <laughs> Do you remember that? No, I don't remember yeah. that. As a kind of concession to good health. Yeah, that was his healthy thing, and it was just a, it was like a, yeah, it was like a ritual of his. Do you have rituals where you're, are you totting up in your mind, um, like, oh, I've given, I've got myself some health points there, I can cash those in later on with a nice little drink drink, or... Um... Uh, no, I, I, I'm, I, I've become slightly uh, fixated on my weight, which I'd never had before, now that I have some scales. So most mornings I weigh myself and I kind of um, am aware if I go north of 180 pounds. What's that in stone? I'm still on stone. I don't know what that is in stone. You can do that thing where your voice comes in and tells us. Okay. yes. Fact-checking centre. Ho, 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 ho. £180 is nearly 13 stone. Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Fact-checking centre. <laughs> but uh, that's not rude to talk about Joe, even though he's not here, is it? Uh, he had little, yeah, he had funny little um, rituals, I guess you'd call them. Yeah. And I haven't, I can identify with that. I don't actually have that myself. Not in that form, anyway. He can drive a car, at least, which I, I still know a few people who... What do you think of people who don't drive? Well, Ricky Gervais can't drive. It, the th- Graham Linehan doesn't drive either. That's right, yeah. What, what it means is that uh, people are having to give you a lot of lifts. So I think, although I'm not... A, I, you know, I failed my licence three times. I'm not a good driver, in fact. Yeah. Um, but I think people probably... I think you probably should learn in this day and age. I mean, I cycle most places, as you know. I'm not a fan of the car, but you you just... It's a bit infantile, isn't it, not knowing how to drive? Yeah. And another one is um, knowing how to cook. Right. I think you should know how to cook. You're right, and, which I don't. And I think that uh, there are skills in life that, you know, you can't do everything, but that really one should master to just feel in control of life, not not to be someone who's driven everywhere not to be someone who's cooked for all the time, mm-hmm. um, or speaking a foreign language. That's when I, don't, I wish I spoke good French, I, but I, I don't, and I think... Um, What's your best language? Bit, probably English. <laughs> French would be second. You can get by. You can understand French, OK? Oui. Oui. C'est vrai. Is French the language that you are closest to getting good at? Like, if you were to go and live somewhere and think, OK, I'm going to nail yeah, this. Yeah, French is, French is the closest, but but then Spanish is easier. So though, though my Spanish is worse, I might be closer to being able to have a conversation in Spanish. And a, and a good time. And a nice time. <laughs> Beautiful country. It's a bit of light but What do you think on the cooking? So you don't really cook. No, I mean, I, I feel as if... I, I can cook a couple of dishes that I picked up from my wife. My wife... <laughs> He cooks quite well. <laughs> and uh, I picked up a, a nice tuna steak with um, sun-dried tomatoes and balsamic. You looked nervous and... just saying that. You looked a bit, <laughs> when you said sun-dried tomatoes, you looked a bit panicky. <laughs> Does it make you nervous even the idea of cooking something? <laughs> no, because I can cook that really well and I feel as if I'm quite good at it. 
And it's my go-to dish. If I'm, if you came round, right, with your wife, your wife (laughs) and my wife, um, then that's what I would cook because it looks like a proper actual thing that maybe a chef might do. Could you whip up a bechamel? No, I don't know what a bechamel is. (laughs) What is a bechamel? It's creamy though, isn't it? It's a creamy sauce. I don't like uh, cream. It's, yeah, it's flour and butter and, and milk. Yuck. What about... Um, uh, I could do you good scrambled eggs. Okay. What but about, I, like a, what about you, know, you know, fry some garlic and onion um, and mix in some tomatoes and season it and mm-hmm. like a little pasta sauce, something like that? No, couldn't do that. I mean, uh, am I allowed to use passata? No. No passata? That's just strained tomato, isn't it? I don't like, um, yeah, it's all mashed up tomato. So I'm not allowed to do that. All right, yes, you can. All right, then I could. Yeah, I could do that. You can fry an onion. Yeah, I can fry the hell out of an onion and make it really nice and (laughs) fried. Um, We were talking about this because of tea. We were talking about this because of being babyish with my drink tastes. I still go for um, the cold fizzy pop. And uh, latterly getting into the uh, mild stimulant of tea. And, you, I mean, you made a show recently about boozers, though. And you and I, we've always drunk, drunk alcohol. Do you feel like you've drunk Probably, too much? Probably, yeah. I mean, we've talked about too it. Too much, then. More than is good for me. You reckon? For sure, yeah. Why do, why do you think? Um, why do you think that we grew up thinking that it was okay to drink a lot? Because it probably is okay. I mean, in the sense that um, I think the, the units that, that they say you're allowed now seems to me uh, What's the current unrealistic. It's just not realistic. Oh, it went it? right down, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. What is it, 14? Did it go from 21 to 14 or did it go from 28 to 21? Wasn't it? Wasn't the health minister saying that it should go down to 14? I thought it went down. But either way, even before it went down, it seemed too low. Uh-huh. Uh, I think... Because the whole units thing is so wrong-headed anyway, I think. Is it? Because... <laughs> because... <laughs> for me, for someone with, with like, a uh, silly child brain, right, with infantilism mind... Mm. I get into the thing of thinking that it's just all about the points and you save up your points and you don't have any right. points during the week and then you've earned uh, 14 points and you can spend you can all spend your points, your points yes. on one weekend. And maybe even you, you've got smoking points and you could maybe convert those into drinking points. <laughs> exactly. And if you go for a run, then you can convert those. You get like a big point and, uh, and then you can have extra burgers. And it's all this kind of... Silly point way of thinking, and the, the 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 do you have credit and don't you have credit, and can you cash in these points and those points, and how many nectar points does it take for you to it have a does pinch? yeah that's a good point. but then I heard that's a good point thanks. then I heard uh, a brain expert one time saying that that way of treating your brain with booze especially is worse than if you just have a drink every night. If you go for a week without boozing and then cane it on the weekend, that's you're worse. Doing yourself more that's, damage. I think that's right. But not that you could even cane it with twenty-one points. I mean, you could save all your week's points and still. Um, I don't know that you'd get totally lashed, would you? Well, I, mean, I would. Still, I mean, how I've never much been... is that? How, let's say it was twenty-one points. That a is... pint is two points, isn't it? Or is it more than also, two? Also, that point sounds good, doesn't it? 
So anyway, you want more points. <laughs> a point is is a point to, two points or three points. Well, it, I, doesn't it depend on the strength of the booze? Yeah, it yeah. would do, wouldn't it? And sure. and a bottle of wine would be probably fourteen points. Uh, yeah, like a large glass of wine is at least two, two points. Two or three. Yeah. Uh, and actually, what we should be doing is being French about it and actually just having a nice meal and drinking nice wine. Right. Not just spending our points and having a kebab. Yeah, exactly. But but the, the way that traditionally it is thought that Brits especially approach boozing is to a large degree to get off your head, mm. to get out of yourself. And I totally understand that impulse and can have a great deal of sympathy with it and have felt that same urge before um, and will probably continue to do so. But why is it is it really different to other people in other countries? Do the French not have a binge drinking problem? Uh, they probably do, but I think they also have a culture of enjoying their food and drink more, don't they? Long lunches. What is that impulse then to get out of yourself? What is it the booze gives you? It relieves anxiety is a big part of it and it relieves self-consciousness. And also I think it's almost part of our um, nine-to-five existence that you have a, a fairly tight window in which to have a good time. And how do you know if you're going to have a good time? Well, you know because you've drunk ten pints. So it really doesn't matter how you feel, you just almost by definition not having a good time. Does that make sense? So you've created a space in which... Ten pints. That's a lot, isn't it? Not ten. <laughs> didn't they always... Ten used to be the aim, didn't it? That was Shut like, up. Have you ever drunk ten no, pints? But there was always like you do... I never did this, but your pub crawl was ten pubs, ten pints. Oh, yeah. No, that was like the... Of legend. Um, Edgar Wright's film, wasn't it? The End of the World. Was the World's it? End. Um, I know, I don't... I wouldn't be standing after four. I got into trouble because I was talking about my show... And there's a scene where I'm talking to a guy and he says, well, I'd have um, four or five pints, go home, bottle, open a bottle of wine, finish that, maybe have a second bottle. And I go, wow. And he goes, that's not actually that shocking, not that much. And I said, well, not the four or five pints, maybe, or even the wine, but both together is too, is is rather shocking. It's a lot. And, and then people asked me when I was interviewed, well, would you really drink a bottle and a half, two bottles. And I was thinking, well, I probably have yeah. in my life, um, especially if it was a long lunch leading into, you know, at a week on the weekend or on holiday, long lunch leading into evening. And then it became a news story. Louis Theroux, I put away two bottles after lunch, two bottles of wine after lunch, like it was a regular thing. And um, I began thinking, like, well, maybe I, maybe I have got a problem. The thing is, though, drinking is fun, and and it probably it is my favourite drug. What is the most? What can you quantify the most fun thing about it? Because it's so it's so ineffable, isn't it? The the fun part, because there is a fun part about drinking, and then there is so quickly it switches to being colossally shit and making you feel awful, and and and. Uh, Making it's you behave a, in a terrible way. Um, I get, I get a sense of uh, it depends. You know, oddly, it depends on what the drink is. And lately, I've discovered that, may you know, I've been drinking red wine for ages, and I started thinking actually maybe that's not the right drink for me. And I, but when I drink, um, especially uh, white wine, champagne, 
Prosecco, tequila, certain um, drinks like that that are very, they make me feel sort of silly. And uh, they, I get energy and I just get a feeling of tremendous well-being. I, I mean, it's, it's, does that sound, I just, I feel a bit weird saying that. But yeah, I do. And it feels, it feels as though, I think, and if you get it right, if you don't, because you can hit a sort of peak point of pleasure and then after that you can get a bit sloppy. Uh, but it, if you get it right, it's a wonderful thing. Do you feel like you're getting better at drinking, i.e. better at not um, drinking too much and, and just being able to feel good and then leave it at that and not push it and not have another drink and then another yeah, drink? Yeah, I think I probably am. Yeah. I mean, that is a great art to master, isn't mm. it? And I do envy it in, when I see other people. It's like the thing of drinking during the day and not feeling as if, oh, I'm, I've had a glass of wine so I can have another four mm. and then get hammered. I think for me as well, is a lot of it is just knowing when to go to bed and that I, I feel that you can, as long as the problems start when you try and push through into uh, the early hours and that you're trying to keep the night going and drinking more and then your, your sense of time is warped and you are actually no longer feeling much happier, but you are feeling more bleary. Whereas if you can just sort of surf the wave from maybe having, it's hits the weekend from a few drinks at lunch, keep drinking through the afternoon, and then kind of coast down into bedtime and then just be quite happy to go to bed. Yeah. To, does, that, I don't, does that sound really banal? No, that makes total sense. But also it's something I've noticed that that's always been your MO and you're an early disappearer at parties. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you'll turn around and it's like, where's Louis gone? And that'll be you having reached that point mm. and just taking yourself off. Generally without a proper goodbye, <laughs> it has to be said. And why do you not do the goodbye? You just think, oh, I can't be bothered with all the palaver. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, fair enough. But I, that's something I'm working on. Yeah. I, I think I was worse about that before. But that's a good policy, though, because then you do... I mean, I used to always be last man standing. Mm. And trying to, as you say, keep the night going and come on, let's have one more. All right, okay. And you are just chasing the, the fun part earlier on in the yeah. night and it's never going to come back. That's the thing. No. Um, I really enjoyed watching the show, though. I mean, it was one of those things because I think we've established that you and I do like to drink. Um, and both, though, you know, think about it and worry about it to some degree. And... Um, so the idea of you going and talking to these people who are really struggling with the effects of alcohol was not totally exciting. And I, I felt a bit anxious watching. I was like, uh, is this just going to completely depress me? But I was really glad I watched it. And it was very sad, though. What was the process of making that program? How did you find those people? Well, the first thing was the idea, which was... Um to do something in the UK that would not necessarily be better in America. You know, an idea that absolutely would work here without us thinking, God, this is kind of funny, but it would be more extreme and weirder in America. And an idea that I thought was tellable because it's, um, while there is a stigma attached to it, it's not illegal. There's plenty of people doing it. You know, this is a realistic proposition in terms of finding the characters. So then it was a case of getting access to a... Uh, we, the director, Tom Barrow, 
thought the best approach, and I'm sure he was right, was to contact liver units around the UK. Uh, I think we reached out to four or five because they deal with the um, consequences of extreme drinking. And um, there were a couple of, con- of in contention, and we settled on Kings in in uh, Denmark Hill in South London. And then it was a case of them, th- that being my director and his AP, Rachel, hanging out there for weeks, if not months, um, meeting people, get, making contacts, talking to staff, and also talking to what they call their frequent flyers, and um, seeing who was willing to go on camera. And then... Um, late August of last year, that was when I, they called me and said, well, we've got someone we think is good. And that was Joe, the, who's sort of the main character, I suppose. He's the one with the, what seems to be the most hopeful um, story. Outcome. Yeah. Outcome, yeah. He, and he's, he's a young guy, I think mid, maybe mid to late, yeah, late twenties, I think. And he, nice looking, intelligent, um, thoughtful, sympathetic, but with this recurring alcohol situation where he will just go on. The word bender doesn't do justice to the kind of drinking he would do. It would, it might start as a bender, but it would spiral out into a an all-consuming um, fugue state of oblivion in which he'd more or less become homeless and drink vodka round the clock getting picking up injuries that he couldn't really explain until usually a good Samaritan would call an ambulance and he'd get because he'd be collapsed on the street somewhere. And so in the film in the in the doc in the documentary, that scene where I first meet Joe and he's got these weird bruises on his leg and he's in hospital. That was the first day of shooting. That was the first thing we shot. And then the obvious question is how do you tread the line as far as um, intervening in their lives and, and to what extent was there a compulsion to, to do so, to give them advice, to give them practical help? Uh, uh, you know, did you establish clear guidelines in your mind before doing that? Well, yeah, I mean, that is the obvious question. And, and in a sense, it was something that I've dealt with versions of that before, but it was an extreme case of people who were very vulnerable. I, I, I think, you know, I, we all knew that the aim was to make the program. You know, we're not a counselling service. Um, I also wanted to be a human being about it. Um, I try. You know, I, I, it didn't really become too much of an issue for most of the contributors because they had either they had either friends around them, or they were somehow in the system. Joe was different because his. His friends and family weren't around, and so why? Because he did alienated his them. Dad or? was in Brighton. I think his friends, his close friends, had seen him in this state before and made the, the, the very understandable decision that there wasn't much they could do to help, and that he needed to find it in himself to help himself. Uh-huh. And um, so it was an awkward passage when he'd. We knew that he'd fallen off the wagon. He was texting the director to say that um, he was in a bad way. And um, it was not totally clear straight away quite how our role would play out at that point. You know, it didn't sit well with me, the idea of going down and trying to find him on the streets and filming him on the streets. While he was messed up. While he was messed up, it just... 
somehow that didn't feel right. And then it became... So so the decision was we need to uh, wait for him to connect with services, wait for him off his own bat uh, to go along to the hospital and then meet him at the hospital at the point at which he's now being um, cared for. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, it's a re- I mean, can you imagine? It's a really tough call, isn't very, it? Very, yeah, very. Um, but, uh, you know, people were thrilled to see you um, being less uh, uh, callous and robotic. Right. Uh, than you normally would be. It's good to hear that. <laughs> Did people but say people that to you? People not like the callous robotic side. <laughs> but people, like I heard a few people say, oh, wow, Louis really... In fact, you were on Gogglebox. I think they showed a clip. Right, I heard that. And um, everyone said, oh, he's nice, isn't he? Oh, he's being really sensitive, as if normally you're not. Maybe you can shed light on that. Well, I guess you've got, you've got a kind of a, a quality of aloofness of detachment sometimes, which you need to have in order to be sort of semi-objective in, in making the films that you make, right? But I've ne- personally, I've never thought that that... Well, I guess because I know you, it, to me it doesn't equal emotional aloofness. I don't... But, you know, what, like, a, why is there water coming from your eyes sort of thing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, robot man. You, why are you involved? You are involved in this strange cult. I will not judge you. But I am curious <laughs> to see where you are. Where are you going to now? Who was that man you were speaking to? <laughs> there is, I mean, that's a stupid way of characterizing what you do. But I feel like some people think of you that way. Like um... the thing is, is I have always. Uh... Like me and Joe always used to say that pick up on this thing that you would sometimes do. You would hear people describing something usually something odd that they did in their lives. This is me in real life or on television? No, it, on TV. Yeah. So they would say something weird and you would go, meaning? Meaning, yes, meaning. In order to get them to yeah. expand. Yeah. Um, but me and Joe always used to say, meaning? Because it sounded, that was robotic. Robot, yes. Um, no, that's fair. And um, the new one is I say, go on, which I have to... Stop myself because I was in the edit and I kept going, go on. Like, I, I'm too lazy to ask a question, so it's just like, go on. Yeah, keep speaking. And the editor said, you know what, you really need to. She was engaged with the rushes and she said, you might want to watch out. You're saying go on a lot. Um, I can cut round it, it's fine, but I just thought you should be aware. <laughs> but I guess, I guess, I guess it's what we were just talking about, which is to what degree do you engage with these people in a practical way, people whose circumstances are quite extreme or desperate sometimes. And, you know, in order to carry on doing what you do, you you need to remain objective for all kinds of different reasons. But in this programme, because Joe actually at one point reaches out... He was reaching out to me both literally and figuratively. Yeah, and he's desperate and he's he's mm. crying and he wants a hug and you give him a hug. And and the odd thing is people say, oh, well, it's nice to see, you know, Louis got a human side, but I, I found it more uncomfortable in some ways because uh, my role became more confused. And mm-hmm. so I was having to juggle being a sort of sensitive, decent person with also remaining a little bit... Robot. Dis- robot. robot. What man. is going on? Meaning? His arms are reaching to me, respond with <laughs> arms, upturned mouth, 
smile, twinkle eyes. And um, it wasn't always a comfortable mode in the sense that, well, I suppose there's a part of me that do, doesn't want to be phony, right? I, I want it to be, I want to be real. And, and I almost feel that, that having the camera there, I mean, it's just such a cheap trick in TV in general to be, we've seen, we see so much uh, fake, emo, what appears to be fake emotion or cynically used emotion in things like X Factor or um, Britain's Got Talent or any no, or any kind of any show extreme with a, makeover a home reality. edition or where, oh, lives have been transformed, soaring music, hugs, and it's cheap, isn't it? No, 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 no. Um, I like it when he. I like hearing about things that you and Joe say about me <laughs> when I'm not there, and like the disappearer thing, uh, and the. Uh, well, I, I, I fed the, the disappearer thing to your brother for your. Um, for the best man speech. For a best man speech, yeah, and worried that it might be a bit of a betrayal. No, my uh, my wife is a uh, bit more of a party animal. Than I am, and so you be okay with you saying that? Yeah, I think she'll be fine with right. it. And um, so she, like, we were at the Baftas on Sunday night. Oh yeah, and mid- midnight, I'd had enough. I said, um, I think I'm thinking I'm really tired. You know, we hadn't won. Which? What were you nominated for? Uh, best single documentary. For which one? Uh, for the transgender kids. Oh yeah. And we lost to um, my son, the jihadi. And I'm so, I'm so uh, <laughs> it's very good. Um, and then so midnight, I've had enough. And my wife <laughs> said, I said, I am thinking of going to bed, recharging batteries. And she said, like, oh, no, well, well, hang on, I'm just going to the loo. Let's talk about it. She's like, I'm really, I'm really tired. I just feel really tired and I want to go home. <laughs> I haven't won. And uh, she said, well, well, hang on. I said, no, I think I am. She said, well, hang on, just, I'm just going to go and talk to her. I'm gonna, I'll be right back. So then she went off and I just said, you know what, I don't want to get into a thing about... Um, oh, don't go. Oh, I'm a bit tired. Oh, don't go. A bit so I thought, I'm just going to go. <laughs> you just took and off. I just went out and I just got in a cab <laughs> and 15 minutes later I was halfway home thinking yes I've I've done it I'm going to be in I'll be in bed did you text her in my PJs in my Jimmy Jams <clears throat> at um half past midnight as you know I've got a small child who wakes up around 6:30 so sure. I can get a decent 6 hours sleep you know it's not not enough but she's going to be thanking you function. I can get up and um that'll be fine and um it's all good. And then she called and said, you just ran off. I said, you know, I, I, I thought I said I was leaving. She said, no, I just went to the loo. I said, I thought you said you were going to talk to someone. She said, no, I just went to the loo and I came back and you'd gone. Where, where are you? I said, I'm halfway home. She said, oh, I was only going to be another 20 minutes. I said, well, it's fine. You just take your time, have fun. Anyway, she stayed out till 3.30. Good effort. She literally was one of the last people there. Uh, it was her and Tom Hiddleston. That's cool. And, um, Is he Thor? Uh, he's he's going to be. They say he's going to be the new Bond. He's not Thor. Oh, Ask um, fact-checking Santa. 
<laughs> Tom Hiddleston played Loki in the Thor movies. He was also in The Night Manager this year. Did you see it? I thought it was marvelous. And uh, he was in Archipelago and High Rise. And he also just split up from Taylor Swift. I'm sorry, Tom. Go down to the gym. Shake it off. <laughs> that's not cool. Oh, that's Tom yeah, Hiddleston. There you go. And um, so what's the point of the story? It's that... Yeah, so I did. I guess that's absolutely. I plead guilty to that disappearing. Sometimes it's easier just to to, to kind of crap out and do <laughs> of your own thing. It is. I did tell her I was going to go. Come on, you knew in your heart though that that She'd wasn't feel that, that wasn't, wasn't totally. Cool. Yeah, you you just thought, oh well, there's a little bit of a grey area. I'll just. I did exploit the grey area. I'll take off. But no, the point is, yes, she so she know, and she she so she knows how to have a, how to have a good time. And sometimes I try and keep up with her. Um, and stay up late <laughs> just out of bloody mindedness that I'm not going to let her be, I'm not going to let her sort of be the last man standing. Yeah. It's an almost competitive thing. And I think she has it with me. So I know we've had parties at yours in the past that have gone quite late and it's been me and her. That's good. Last on the dance floor. Yeah, Garth, he's always the first one to go to bed. Garth. Is he? Yeah. I mean, he will. 11.30, he's off. And he's one of the only people as well that I've ever... I've taken a chance and called after the watershed, a phone call. Like, what's the watershed for you for a phone call? 10.30. Right. So I called after 10, I think, thinking, eh, it's on the edge here. And he was... He cross. Was pretty cross. No. Yeah. What did he say? He's just like, hey, Ad, what's up? It's really late. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, sorry, man. You know, it's like the Tao Te Ching, I'm told, says, sleep when you're tired, eat when you're hungry, drink when you're thirsty. There's a lot of truth in that. Mm-hmm. If you're tired, go to bed. Yeah, listen to, listen to what your body's telling you. <laughs> listen to what your body's saying. Somehow you think, there's a part of you that thinks, oh, as it gets later, later means funner. <laughs> And it'll get more late, and I'll have more fun. And then later, and then I'll reach maximum fun <laughs> around four or five in the morning. But actually, why do we think that? Well, because it was, that was true for a small window when you were young, I think. Right. Like there was a summer holiday where that was the case. And maybe there's been a couple of parties where yeah. that were legendary. And all it takes is like a handful of incidents like that. And that's it. That's your script for the next 20 years or something, if you try yeah. and recreate those But in nights. fact, we see our kids and they're like, if I stay up late, it's going to be, can I stay up late tonight? And you see and it's 9, it's 10.30, and they look really tired and they're not having more fun. They're just getting ragged and, and, and crotchety. Yeah. And that's you. Yeah, it's true. Hey, well, that brings us on to um, parenting, the world of parenting in general, which we spoke about last time, but you're, you're someone I like to check in with about parenting techniques. Your children are turning out well. And, Thank uh, you. And they don't Sometimes. seem overly psychotic. And they're nice people. Um, and so are mine, I'd like to they say. They absolutely are. Um, but, but, sorry, I should have said that, shouldn't I? No, that's, <laughs> that's okay. But, we, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we all, we can agree that None of us is perfect, right? Absolutely. As parents. And mm. there are many dark moments of soul searching mm. where you think, should I really have been allowed to have children? Yes. Um, because they make you do things. Right. That, that you don't want to do. Yeah. What do you mean? 
Well, they behave, they behave in ways that demand a response, and you give the response, and... Um, and you don't... For me... You're you, not responsible no. for what you do. Right. They and are. Also, you don't know what the correct response is necessarily. No. And you're thinking, I don't know what the answer to that is, but I've got to give you something. I can't just yes. say, I don't know. I mean, that's an option, I suppose, isn't it? Yes. I don't know. And there must be parents who've just gone for, mate, no, no clue. You figure it out. I've tried that. And uh, have you really? Uh, yeah, it's not satisfying. No, it's not. You Eventually, you, you feel like, I've got to just plump for a bit of guidance here. How are you dealing with these sorts of things? Has this happened to you? You're in a restaurant. And I find this with table manners in general, trying to instill some sense of what is and what isn't acceptable around the table. When they say, why? Why, why is it important that I sit up straight? Mm. When we were at a restaurant the other day, uh, where was it? Uh, Cafe Rouge at Centre Parks we were. Mm -hmm. And it's the end of the day and they're kind of knackered or whatever. And one of my sons decided that it was time to lie down on the... We're sitting on the bonquette. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, I'm going to lie down. So he just lay down there. And, you know, the restaurant's quite full and there's mm. lots of other diners and there wasn't too much lying down. Mm. I was like, hey, sit up. Come on, just sit up and finish your meal. Because we're all still eating. He's got his meal there. Mm. Why? Because just I didn't know why it was important that he didn't lie down. I mean, first of all, I was thinking, who really cares? No one really cares, do they? Or do they? I mean, he's 11, he's tired, it's not the end of the world, but he's right on the cusp of, like... You can't get away. You're not six. If it was six, mm. fair enough. But he's 11. I think you've got to sit up now. You can't lie on the bonquette anymore. <sighs> Were his feet on the bonquette? Uh, no, uh, the shoes weren't on the bonquette. The shoes bonquet. weren't. No, no. That wasn't an issue. He was just lying down. Doesn't sound too bad. It's lying not down. too bad, but at the same time, I made the decision in my mind that it could not be tolerated. And he had to. I was like, mate, you've got to sit up. I'm sorry. So then he sits up with a great deal of complaint and then it's maximum elbows on the table, you know, like <sighs> head, head down on the table. Right, drama. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, yeah, but sit up, sit up, elbows off the table. Why do I have my elbows off the table? At each point I'm thinking I don't have a good answer for that. What's the good answer? Why is it important to sit up? I can understand don't eat with your mouth full because it's not appealing to see the inside of someone's mouth with food in it, mm. right? That's a bit of a drag. Mm. But why sit up straight? Why is that so important? Is it some it facet of... It looks nicer, doesn't it? It looks nicer, but who cares? It's like slouching. Sit nicely, walk nicely. Why does it look nicer, though? What is, it, what is implied by someone sitting up? That you're making an effort to appear... You're attentive. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a form of... You're composed. It is a form of manners. Could you... Were you in a position to say, um, do you want to go back to the the room and have a lie down? Yeah, we said that. We pulled that. And, and he, he like, said... No, no. Sometimes I think, like, God, I think I might be being more strict than my parents were. Mm -hmm. That can't be good. And um, I remember having a lunch with my dad. We were on a skiing holiday when I was about 14... And I had some soup, and I don't know why I put it in my mouth, and then I just sort of, I just sort of sp <laughs> spat it back into the bowl. <laughs> you dribbled it back out. Just like, whoop, 
I just thought it'd be like funny and just see what it looks like and feels like to do that. You put the soup in my throat and poured it back into the bowl. And my dad looked at me, I think he dropped his spoon and he's like, what, what the hell do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? He was really angry. And, um, and I said, you know, I'm oh, sorry, I wasn't really thinking. And the weird thing was, and, and then it was almost, I was so panicked because he could be scary. I was so panicked that, that my reaction was to put another mouth, spoonful in my mouth and do the same thing again. <laughs> I just did it again. But I think he knew that it was a nervous response, so he didn't go totally ballistic. But it's just... Uh, I don't know. I think my, with my dad, although they were, they were sort of from... He was sort of progressive or, you know, tried to be liberal-minded on stuff, but there was still behind it a kind of rather uh, disciplinarian attitude... And I have a little of that. But you're searching for structure, aren't you? You're, you're searching for a state that is not meaningless chaos. That was my dad's constant refrain. He couldn't get with so many of the things that I liked and I enjoyed, pop music especially. Yeah. I remember always him... We got him to review a track called uh, Higher State of Consciousness by Josh Wink. Oh, yeah. Which I absolutely loved. Yeah, that was a classic. And... um it blew his mind, and he just thought that it was a perfect encapsulation of everything he was against and really? everything he didn't understand. He thought it was the sound of chaos in a bad way. And, mm. of course, it is. He would have been anti-lying on the bonquette. <laughs> <laughs> but if you were ill, I'm thinking that if you were ill... If, I'm just thinking about if, if If your son had been ill, right? Yeah. Then that's different. And in a way, if you're very tired... It's not that different from being ill, is it? If you're really tired, no one will mind. Have a little lie down. Yeah. No, Dad, I don't want to. I want to do what you want me to do, and I know you want me to stay <laughs> at the table. But I'm so tired. So very tired. Sit, lie down. I it's can't. fine, son. I can't. Okay. Why can't you be disappointed, Daddy? I don't want to embarrass you and Mummy. I knew what you. I don't want to tear apart the fabric of society. That's, that's the, the thing last thing I want to do. We sort of like that's that's we want that kid that's sort of thinking about duty and responsibility. And there's something sort of beautiful about someone torturing themselves for a um, for a principle, isn't there? For like something. Yeah, my son, my son's not in any danger. Torturing himself for that principle at the moment. That's the thing is, and then you can then that makes you feel better because then you can be like, no, son, you must lie down. <laughs> and instead of which, you're the guy saying, yeah, you exactly. Lie. You can say, hey, rules. Let's who cares Come on, about the son. rules? No, you relax and lie down. But daddy, You've those got, people are looking over. Ill. Those people at the other table are looking are you over. Sure? Are you sure? Who daddy? cares what they think? It's you and me. Exactly. So, Lou, how are you doing for a drink? I'm fine. Would you like... I'll tell you what I've got. I've taken the liberty of pouring you a glass of Monster Energy Ultra. Have you ever had one of these monster no, drinks? No, it looks weird. It's milky. Can I see the can? Why is it milky? 
It's got no calories, which uh-huh. always strikes me as odd. How can it have no calories? That's just just got nothing in it. It's invisible. Uh, well, what's the definition of a calorie? Something that I thought. Surely everything's got a little bit of a calorie. I thought calories were the thing that gave you energy, weren't they? Aren't well, that's a great point, and it's an energy drink. It's not making any sense. It's like a magic potion. Mm. Hey, that's much tastier than I thought it was going to be. Actually, no, I'm immediately... I quite like it. It's so claggy, isn't it? The aftertaste is very intense. It really hangs around. It's so chemically. It's very chemically. When it hits you, it's quite pleasant and it's sweet. But it just won't go away, the aftertaste. Um. Yeah, that's true. I'm You've almost finished. I'm we, quite we, liking it, to be honest with you. Are you? Yeah. Are you getting jangly? I think there's a lot of things like this where you you kind of love it and then you never want to drink another one. Right. Yeah. I remember I had... It's got inositol in it. <laughs> inositol? That's got to be a made-up thing. I don't know. Is that real on chemical there. on there? It does say it's got some. Inositol. Inositol. That's got to be what it is, it surely. It it's like uh, unobtainium. It is like unobtainium. Is it? Is one of the other chemicals? Is totally jazzed. <laughs> one of the other ones is <laughs> gives you energy. <laughs> Should I say something? You have to see if they're if it's real. real. All right. <laughs> okay. Ready? <laughs> yeah. A sulfame. A sulfate. A sulfame K. Sucralose. Elkarnitine. Jezeboam. Not real. <laughs> Glucuronolactone. <laughs> Isagavanestamine. Guarana seed extract. Inositol. One of those was made up. Guarana seed extract. <laughs> no, gives a. I can't remember what it was. Give a jazzamectamine. <laughs> <laughs> That's good though. You could make him. Fazajax. Fazajax. Terrestolol. Fazajaculate. El tartrate. Prostitutalon. <laughs> El tartrate was the real one. Yeah. Oh, you've almost finished your glass. Vaseljax. Vaseljax could be real. Did you make up Vaseljax? Yeah. That's um. Isn't that it's a track by Dave D. Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch, isn't it, Vasil Jacks? I think there's one called Zaza Jacks or something. Uh, Z- Zabadaz or something. Zabadaz. That's an ingredient. <laughs> Zabadaz. <laughs> um, right. I wanted to ask you about music. I heard you on Marianne Hobbs's oh, yeah. show on Six Music the other day. And she said, let's talk about music. And then she just asked you why we did the Groovies in the Heart she video. Did, yeah. You never really got a chance. Although you did talk about uh, gangster rap a bit. I couldn't. Give a good answer on the um, on the D-Light dance session because that was all you're doing. Well, we just used to film a lot of stuff, didn't we? Me and Joe especially. Yeah. Anyway, I was um, thinking about music and specifically singing. You like singing, right? Mm. Mm. I love to sing. I don't. I usually sing along either with records or in the car or karaoke. I don't know that I sing uh, solo. On my own, sort of whistling while I work, but I because you've never sung on TV, have you? I wish I had a better voice. That's my thing. Right, I've sung a little bit here and there. You've rapped on TV. I've done. I sang uh, "Get By" with a little help from my friends in one I did about off-Broadway actors. 
I auditioned for Craig Revel Horwood to be in a Norwegian cruise line entertainment thing. And uh, he was, it was him and a couple of other guys. And I went in and I was incognito. They didn't realize that I was doing it for a TV show. Mm-hmm. Have you never seen that? No. Oh, it's unreal. Because I got so nervous that whatever limited singing ability I had completely deserted yeah, me. Yeah, that And happens, I couldn't find... The, yeah, I was thinking, well, I get high, I, I get I I get... I couldn't... I couldn't find... I couldn't find the key. That's the thing. Uh, and that's... They, I was so... It was so embarrassing yeah. that not only was I embarrassed, everyone in the room was embarrassed. And Craig Revel <laughs> Horwood, I kind of remember him looking down, like, this is so awkward, I can't... Re- no one could when, quite when bear to look at When did you do that? I did that. In, in the second season of Weird Weekend, so it would have been 99. So he didn't necessarily recognise you? Oh, definitely didn't recognise me. And okay. I, I said I was called Louis Castle. He wouldn't have known anyway, I'm sure, but uh, it was, I, was, I was undercover. Ah. Oh, it was awkward. It's very distressing, isn't it, that, that you... Because I think both of us feel like we can carry a tune, right? More or less. More or less. Can't carry it that far. No, exactly. Um, but... When you're put on the spot, you realise the difference between a, a, a mere mortal and um, someone who's actually a professional. You've got a pretty good voice, I think. Singer. Well, it depends what and the you material sang, is. you sang at school. Do you remember in Shady People? Oh, yeah. You, well, they did. A, it was like a Talking Heads cover band. That's and, a painful memory. And you were like the front man. I was the David Byrne. We did a cover of uh, Cross-Eyed and Painless. And You actually are, you're sort of winced when I brought that up. It's one of my painful memories, yeah, I'm glad. I, I'm glad. See, I had a painful one, and now you've got one, and that's, that's what's good. which is you. Oh, you're the Craig Greville. Mm. Does that make you cringe when you think when about I it? When I watch it, it's pretty awkward. Uh, yeah. I feel bad about the the gig though because it involved letting down our friend Chris Barnes as well. Well, why you did the gig? No, I walked out of the gig halfway through. Yeah. Oh, I forgot that. Yep. Me. Did and you get drunk? I got absolutely hammered. Yeah, it was terrible. To, to steady your nerves. Yeah, we were very nervous. So it was this. It was our friend Chris, and he had, <laughs> he was really m- gifted musically, and he'd put together this band. He's kind of prodigious with the piano, and I loved the idea. You know, it's my dream to be in a band, and to be musical. And Chris was nice enough to let us kind of co-opt this um, live music project, and we were working towards playing a gig in the music center at school. Mm. The Adrian Bolt Music right. Centre. And, and I got very nervous. And me and my friend Patrick uh, were in this band. He was playing guitar, I think. And one of the added attractions of the whole exercise was that two, two of the sexiest girls in the year were going to be doing backing vocals, Julia and Saskia. Mm. And, uh, forgotten that. And we all, the four of us, me and Patrick and Julia and Saskia, went and drank a bottle of wine beforehand to steady our nerves but it meant that we were pretty hammered by the time we actually did the show and we were all over the place and also we hadn't realized that and I dressed up I dressed up in a uh, a sort of collarless shirt and I had a white waiter's jacket that I'd bought that I thought made me look like David Byrne you did look like David Byrne (laughs) and um the uh, hard guys from the year turned up. All the scary guys in, in drainpipe trousers and winkle pickers and um, Jesus and Mary Chain hair turned up and stood at the back and jeered. 
cheered. Jeered. Well, they were friends of, of Patrick's, weren't they? They were. There was a weird crossover. Um, so they were... But it was... It was friendly tar- jeering. It was semi-friendly. It was targeted jeering. Was it? Was it like sensible out? It was like Buxton out. N- no, I mean, Chris bore the brunt of it. Oh, probably. really? Why? Because he was seen as being too earnest and too into the whole thing, maybe. Oh. I mean, it was just... It was... It, the whole everything about it makes me anxious and sad, and, and it's one of the things I wish I could take back. Really, because at a certain point we 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 just bailed, and we thought this is not cool. This is who bailed? Uh, I think. Well, I think me and Patrick exchanged looks and thought, you know, let's split. Let's just go. <laughs> and what? And leave Chris out there? Yeah. And he looked at oh. us like, "What are you doing?" What? And and we were just like, "We're out here, man. Hey, we're gonna split. We're gonna blow this nowhere scene right in the middle of the gig." And it was, on every conceivable level, not cool. I'd forgotten all of that. It's awful. It makes me really sad when I think about it. <laughs> did Chris carry on without you? I think he did. Yeah. But he was pretty angry, justifiably, afterwards. Uh, so if he was here now, what would you say to Chris? I would say I'm, I would just apologise humbly and try and blame it on youthful insecurity. We can say blame it on Patrick. Would you I'd blame you, it on Rio. Would you get down on your knees? <laughs> no, I mean it. Yeah. But would, so that, like, would that make him feel better? If you, if you thought it would make him feel better. If I thought it would, would I would. Pros- Straight yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I would, definitely. I would. I would, I would do anything to, to take it back and to be, a, a, to be less of a dick about it. It was awful. I mean... To be less dicky. To be, yeah. So anyway... I, I think everyone's got something like that. Yeah, yeah. I've got loads, though. And some of them are, are from only a few years ago. <sighs> what are your ones? Have you got any that you can talk about? I remember being at a crazy... A friend, when I was about 13, said they're having a crazy space party. Everyone dress up, right? Did Thir- I? 13? 13, yeah. 13 years old. Okay. So we would have known each other. Yeah. Uh, and so I didn't feel like dressing up. And in fact, most people didn't dress up. But there was one girl who I didn't know. I didn't know many girls. But she was there and she sort of made a little outfit out of tin foil. And she just sat in the corner the whole evening and looking a bit depressed and lonely. And, and a grown-up came up to me and said, hey, Louie, why don't you go and ask her if she'd like to dance? You know? And um, I said no. Because you thought she's not cool. She looks like a loser. Right. It's not. It's passive cruelty, isn't it? But I, later on it just became a sort of emblem to me of, well, I could have done something. It's that feeling of like, because it represents there's junctions in your life where you can either be the big guy and do something nice, but actually what you tend to do, I find, is think, it's like a contagion. That's not going to... I'm just hanging on to the little bit of cool that I have. Yeah. <laughs> if I go and talk to the girl dressed in tin foil at the crazy space party, then I'll be like her. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just clinging on. And we'll both get picked I'm on. I'm clinging on with my just by the skin of my teeth, by my nails, to uh, not being bullied and looking like a total d- 
dick. Yeah. So I can't. I, I can't. I haven't got enough free capital to go and help her out. <laughs> you know, it's every. It's like maybe if I was really popular, but yeah, that's the thing. That's the it? thing, and I think so many of those social situations are driven by. I think it's similar to you in the sense that it's driven by fear, and and he's like, I'm not. He's like, Chris, you're on your own. I I'm going to save. It's every man for himself out here, and. I haven't. I'm not cool enough or popular enough to be able to save you, mm. don't you think? It's a cowardly instinct. Yeah, it really is. It's terrible. Well, if you're listening, Chris, I apologise, and um, let's get together and do it all again. <laughs> let's do an anniversary gig, and I promise not to walk out. And if you're the the girl in the tinfoil crazy space outfit, I, I apologise and I'll dance with you any day of the week. Cool. All right, we've made we've made some peace. Um, how are you feeling after your monster Good. drink? Are you're you right. It really gets weird. Uh, the last sip I had, the second half of the of the taste was really odd, but. I think it's done the job. It's, yeah, it's very syrupy. Mm. I feel anxious now, though. I don't know if it's what we've been talking about or if it's the, if it's the drink. We were talking about singing, weren't we? Yeah. And one thing I wanted to mention is that uh, I don't really, you know, I don't have a strong voice, but I've got this weird thing where I'm quite comfortable in the falsetto uh, range. Oh, really? So that I can... Um, yeah, I like a bit of falsetto. I'm much more comfortable and I feel that my vo- I'm totally in command of my instrument. <laughs> How high do you go? Uh, not as high as I used to, but... <clears throat> I'd rather have an actual song. Um... Well, what's your... Do you do falsetto when you do karaoke? Well, I do, yes. What's, I do... Um, what's your go-to karaoke? It's Baccarat, um, yes. yes, Sir, I Can Boogie. Uh-huh. Do you know it? Sure. Have a go. Oh, yes, sir, I can boogie. Yeah. But I need a... Southern song, I, I can, can boogie. Boogie, woogie, <laughs> all night long. Oh, yes, sir, I can boogie. <laughs> but I need a Southern song, I can boogie. It's a very clean. It's a very clean sound, and but that's off key, isn't it? I think I just woke a baby up somewhere. <laughs> I don't think it's off key. I think it's whatever. I think it's it's on key. Why does that make me laugh so much? It, I think it's it's the key of mirth, certainly, but it's not. Oh yes, sir. I could do that all night. Actually, the the longer you do it, the better you feel. Hang on, hang on. I've got a. I've got a. Oh yes, sir. I can boogie. I can tell you like I that. I need a certain song. <laughs> I'm doing a little Asian, but it, that's all right, isn't it? Oh, they're, they're sort of Euro. I don't they? know what she's Baccarat. I think they're oh, so, from Turkey Mister, or something like that. Maybe your eyes are full of hesitation. <laughs> uh, I that bit's not so interesting. But it sounds quite. Um... Oh, yes, <laughs> Check it on your machine. It's, I can boogie. It sounds. Um... But I need a certain song. It's the robot again. I can boogie. You measuring it? I'm trying to find my app. Here we go. Guitar. I want to swing from. <laughs> that wasn't right. <laughs> I want to swing 
chandelier. Oh, is that? The chandelier. I can't go higher than that. <laughs> I have to start lower for She's that. She's a very good singer, though. See Amazing. It. I want to sing. Swing from the chandelier. The chandelier. I want to fly like a bird in the day. Feel my tears <laughs> as I dry. Why is it waggling? It's waggling because you're way, way off key. May, look. I don't think that's right. Let me see. It is right. Look, if, if you're... Boy, if you're on, like a Look, the but pitch is... I need a certain song. That's an E, but it's way I off can boogie, pitch. <laughs> boogie woogie all night long. I'm going to break your microphone. <laughs> just Don't to rivet. Don't so close. Is that going to break it? I can boogie. Can, can I make it? Back he off. It can be a certain song. All the levels are maxing are out. Are they maxing out? I can boogie. Back off. Back off. You back off. Boogie woogie. <laughs> You asked for it, you're going to get it. All night long. That's weird. I don't like the minus plus. <laughs> All right, what about harmonies? I mean, you, yeah. we, we, we can do harmonies. We've done harmonies in the past, right? Yes. I could, you could do um, bye bye, love. Bye uh, bye, have you do that. Am I going high? I'll go low. No, you do the, you do the main one. Bye bye, love. Uh, Bye bye, happiness. It's hard, isn't it? Hello. I'm just singing an octave up. Bye bye. Okay, go. Bye bye, love. I'm here. Bye bye, happiness. Hello, loneliness. I think I'm gonna die. Bye bye, my love. Bye bye. That's that was okay. There we got it. I like my go-to falsetto stuff is Beach Boys singing along with Pet Sounds. So the, the the key bit being, well, after oh. uh, I know perfectly. Oh no, I st- I've started too high. I know perfectly well I'm not where I should be. I've been very aware you've been patient with me. Every time, oh, it's every time I break up. You bring back your love to me And after all I promised you How can it be You still believe in me I want to cry It's good though, isn't it? Like there's something. We're not doing harmonies though. (laughs) It's hard to do on the hoof. That takes a special talent.
This is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area and spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code Buxton to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Yes. Ah, oh, beautiful sun-soaked harmonies there. My crimes against the Beach Boys are stacking up. Thanks very much indeed to Louis Theroux. Really enjoyed talking to him, as ever. And actually, I'm doing a Q&A, a live Q&A with Louis about his new film. Well, it's his first feature-length documentary, My Scientology Movie. You'll never guess what that's about. On the 10th of October of this year, 2016, at the Royal Festival Hall on the South Bank. And if you can't make it to London for that, then perhaps you can catch the film and the Q&A broadcast live to Odeon Cinemas around the country on that date. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Speaking of live events, thank you very much to everyone who came along to the End of the Road Festival a couple of weekends back out there in Wiltshire, Llama Tree Gardens. I'd never been there before. Very beautiful Llama Tree Gardens and very good bands. Helena Friedberger, Cat Power and Goat. I liked goat. Never seen goat before. They're Swedish. And they were just going absolutely nuts in the area with their big crazy masks and stuff, jumping around. They're a bit like, you know, they get into long, slightly African grooves. A bit like Sun Ra, James Brown meets Talking Heads kind of thing, but more poppy than that sometimes. And difficult to pin down exactly, but uh, very intriguing and enjoyable. Could have watched a lot more of that than I did if it hadn't been pouring with rain, which it was, unfortunately, for much of the day that I was there, the Saturday. It was a real shame. It just wouldn't let up. It kept on. Every time you thought, oh, there you go, maybe the skies will clear now, it would just set in again and get, and get a little bit colder. And for the folks that came out to see the live podcast that I did... Um, it was a real drag because I think they probably got the absolute worst of the rain the whole day. It was completely torrential at one point. And yet a good crowd of people who had come along to see myself and my guest speaking at the so-called piano stage out there in an outdoor part of the garden, obviously. They, and they weren't covered, the audience, so they sat there in their cagoules. But I felt very bad for those people. <laughs> anyway, I hope you had a good time if you were there. 
I, I did. It was great. My guest was Bridget Christie. And it was a really fun conversation that she and I had that veered in and out of serious stuff, political stuff. Hard not to talk about Brexit this year. And sure enough, we did uh, hear her views on that, which were strong and passionate. And um, what else? Oh, we talked about family stuff and... It was good. It was a good mixture of uh, serious and stupid, which is uh, what I like. So thanks to Bridget. I don't know exactly when we're going to have that edited and ready for you. There's quite a few other episodes piled up that we're trying to get together. It's, you know, it's difficult. I say we, it's me and Seamus Murphy-Mitchell, my sort of production support guy who gives me notes on some of the interviews, and then Matt Lamont who helps me edit the interview, or he does a pass on the edit, and then I do another one. So it's a question of um, when we get it all together, but that should be in the next few weeks sometime. My conversation with Bridget. And Steve Mason came along as well. That was great, and he sang a song for us, and that will also be included. It was a fun afternoon. So thanks. What else? More housekeeping. Someone said the other day, what happened to the app, the Adam Buxton app? Now, I spoke about this after the podcast I did with Garth earlier in the year, the Northern Waiters podcast. And uh, at the end of that, I said, oh, I've got an app, the Adam Buxton app. And it was made for me by these folks at Dunlud, D-W-N-L-D, out in New York. They had got in touch with me and said, hey, we like your stuff. Would you like us to make an app for you? So I said, okay. And sure enough, you know as is always the way with things online like that. It was only a temporary situation. I think eventually the idea was for me to start paying for the upkeep of the app and find ways to monetize it and make it worthwhile. But I'm struggling to maintain my own website, let alone a whole other app. Um, Anyway, it is a few days after I recorded the introduction to this podcast today. And um, it's now a beautiful day. When I recorded the intro, it looked as if it was the end of the summer. And it was all cold and dreary. And now it is... The summer's back. It's beautiful and hot, but fresh, like me. And it's just a great day to be alive. And in the intervening days since I recorded that intro, I did the Drunk History episode that I talked about. And it was uh, quite a strange experience. Pretty fun. But it certainly made me realise that actually these days I very seldom drink excessively, in fact. You know, it happens uh, on some special occasions, but once or twice a year, really. Um, And I'm not cut out for it. I think after a certain age, you've really got to be committed to carry on. Uh, hammering away at those uh, points. Speaking of which as well, I checked online and the current NHS guidelines, points-wise for alcohol, are indeed 14. Fact-checking Santa didn't bother jumping in there at the time, but I can tell you that it's supposed to... Because it used to be higher for men, but they've decided, nah, let's get rid of that. It's 14 for everybody, which isn't really very much. (laughs) 
Um, but anyway, there you go. I guess to a certain degree, you ultimately have to um, do what you feel is right for you, don't you? Uh, and on that completely woolly note, I will say thanks very much indeed for listening. Rosie, Rosie, come on, should we head back? Come on. Look, I've got a swippy sh- stick. This is what they use to um, make the sound effects for all the whip pans on Spaced. Did you know that? What do you think of that, dog dog? I think it's boring. All right, listen, folks. Be careful out there. And uh, I look forward to being reunited with you sometime soon. I love you. Bye!